Well, good morning. I have the uh, privilege of concluding the Summer Psalm series, and I'll be speaking this morning on Psalm 147. So there's a few Bible in front of you, or if you're of your own, Psalm 147. Let's give you the reading of God's Word. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem, he gathers the outcasts of Israel, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our God, is our Lord, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters hoarfrost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. This ends the reading of the very word of the living God. The title of this morning's message is The Wonder of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray, Lord, that you would grant us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to receive, and wills to obey your word and the strength of your spirit. For Jesus' name, amen. R.C. Sproul was a um, prominent, respected, reformed theologian. Uh, He wrote a lot. He he died in 2017. And one uh, one of my favorite R.C. Sproul quotes he, uh, he, I, this quote, I heard this quote, uh, not through, in one of his books, but at a conference that I attended in Florida that he was uh, leading. And he said, if a man makes a statement and his wife is not there to hear him, is he still wrong? My wife and I have known each other for uh, 48 years. We've been married that long. 
And we've been together a long time. And when you get together, when you're that lo- together that long, you get to know each other pretty well. Your likes and dislikes, your habits and idiosyncrasies. And uh, you become part of one another. You become part of one another when you say, I do, and you grow to, um, to know one another over the years. Uh, marriage is great, but it takes work. And one of the things worse we can do is we can take our spouse for granted. But it's not just in our marriages that can happen. It's in the most uh, important, most central relationship of our lives, and that is our relationship with God. Here God has reconciled us to himself through his Son. He has adopted us and made us heirs of eternal life. And we can forget the love that he has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. Here God has demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that gospel, which should be good news, can somehow become old news. Here the Spirit has opened our eyes to behold Jesus, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And yet, even with those those open eyes, we can lose sight of Jesus and go about our religious practice, go about our daily lives. Now, how do you freshen up a relationship with your spouse? Well, we hear a bunch of ideas, don't we? Date nights, romantic getaways. But whatever we do, the important thing is this, that we look at our spouse, that we really look at them, to see them how we first did, to see the ways that we've grown to know them over the years to review the memories that we share and the journey that we've been on together. Well, it's the same way with God. How do we freshen up our relationship with God? We want to look at Him. We want to look at the ways that He displays Himself in creation and in redemption. We want to rehearse the mercies that are ours in him you know that's one of the reasons why we get together each week here it is sunday here we are gathered together the first day of a brand new week and one of the things that we want to do is we want to renew ourselves in the wonder of our god we want to remind ourselves of who he is and what he has done for us in jesus christ in fact when we read the bible you know, our daily devotions. We want to just read, we want to read not just to, to hear the stories or to learn the laws, to be instructed in the faith. All those are important. But primarily, as we read our Bibles, we want to look at who is speaking to us, what he is telling us about himself. One of the places that are particularly helpful in, uh, in 
this is, are the Psalms. The Psalms are useful in reacquainting ourselves with the wonder of God and refreshing ourselves in our relationship with Him. We see that in this morning's Psalm. Psalm 147 renews us in the wonder of who God is and what He has done, what He means to us. The psalmist takes us through the wonders of God's glory, the wonders of His goodness, and the wonders of His grace. So let's take a look at each of these. First, God wants us to behold the wonder of His glory. Right. Now, we opened our service of worship this morning with a call to worship. Now, that, every week we do that. Why do we do that? Why do we begin a service of worship with a call to worship taken from Scripture? Well, what a call to worship does is it directs our attention to the God who meets with us and who invites us into His presence. Often a call to worship will tell us something about the character of God or remind us of something of what He has done for us. And through them, God calls us into his presence like a psalm a psalm another psalm says this god says seek my face and the psalmist responds your face O lord i will seek and that's the way that it works in a service of worship we see god calling us there's, there's a dialogue you see that got a call and response a call and response as we work our way through the service a dialogue initiated by God. You know, we look at some of, the, some of the prayers of the saints of old in the New Testament, and one of the things we notice about these prayers is that they begin with a preamble, kind of like an extended salutation. Now, when we pray, how do we usually begin? Well, we might begin like Jesus told us to pray, right? Our Father, or Lord God, or some, something like that. But often when we see these prayers in the Old Testament, they are coming at a time of great crisis. Listen to this salutation by King Jehoshaphat uh, from 2 Chronicles 20 as he faced this insurmountable foe. Listen to how he begins. O oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none can withstand you. Now why does Jehoshaphat do that? Why, um, here he is, he's in distress. He's going to talk to God about the distress. Why does he just get to the point? It's not like he needs to butter up God so that God will hear. No, it's to help him make eye contact with the God he is entreating. To actually look at God. Psalm 147 is one among many psalms that help us to do that, to make eye contact with God. And it presents for us a prism, a prism of God's many splendored 
glory. Look at verse 4. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Now, how many stars do you think there are? Well, scientists guesstimate that in our galaxy, there are 100 billion stars. Now, that's just in our galaxy. That's just in the Milky Way galaxy. 100 billion stars. And scientists also guesstimate, I'm not sure how they figure this stuff out, but that there are two, over two trillion galaxies. And the psalmist says that God made each of those stars. He determined their number. And he calls, he gives each its name. Now one of the things that naming does it expresses an intimate knowledge of. But it also expresses authority or uh, power over, ownership. And what the psalmist is doing is he's trying in this poetic way to give us an inkling, just an inkling, a taste of the glory, of the grandeur of God. That's why the psalmist goes on to say, verse 5, great is the Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. You see, the psalmist is trying to instill in us a sense of awe. Do you have that sense of awe in your relationship with God? A friend of mine I graduated from college with he went on to, um, to work for, I think, for NASA. And he was the assistant director of the Hubble Telescope. And, uh, in fact, he wrote, he's a, he's a, a strong Christian, and one of the things he wrote was a, uh, a devotional using uh, images from the Hubble Telescope. So he had this, this thing, and he, he'd give a word of explanation, and then he would point to God. And it's very uplifting uh, devotional. So the Hubble telescope, you could see into the vast reaches of the universe, but now there's a new one, right? It's called the James Webb Space Telescope. And when you juxtapose the pictures of the Hubble with James Webb, it's like the Hubble has cataracts. It's, it's, it's a blurry thing. With the James Webb, you can see so much more clearly and so much further. You see, that's what the psalmist is doing in Psalm 147. He is giving us, it is serving as a telescope to plumb the universe, the depths of the universe, so that we might behold the immensity and the majesty and the might of the Creator. And what did the psalmist just say? His understanding is beyond measure. And what that is saying, friends, is this. When we see these things about God, we recognize how great He is as the Creator who is to be forever praised. It makes us realize this vast gulf between God and us. This is the God with whom we commune. God wants us to behold the wonder of His glory. Secondly, 
God wants us to behold the wonder of his goodness. One of the things that can take a hit in a marriage, particularly a long-standing marriage, is an appreciation for each other. Uh, When we lose that uh, sense of appreciation, we forget to thank one another. We forget to express gratitude. In fact, something that can even happen is we can settle into a sense of entitlement and conflicts can be uh, created. Well, the same is true with our appreciation of God. You know, take a look around you. Just take a look at your lives and your home. Take a look at this place. Here we are, we've got lights, we've got a roof, air conditioning, comfort. Our lives are filled with things like this. We are filled with the blessings and the beneficence of God. Our lives are filled with his bounty. And they're inexhaustible, aren't they? How does the hymn writer put it? More, or Quoting Jeremiah, morning by morning, new mercies I see every day. The psalmist draws our attention to some expressions of God's goodness. Let me point some out to you. Verse 8. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. Verse 13, For He strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. Verse 16, he gives snow like wool. He scatters hoarfrost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? And so what the psalmist does is he says, look here, look here, look there, and see, behold the goodness of God. Notice the way the psalmist puts it. Very curious, verse 15 He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. Verse 18, he sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. It's a curious way of expressing something, isn't it? Of God sending out his word. And the sense is this, that God dispatches his will and it runs to the accomplishment of his purpose it hurries to carry out what it is that god wants now why is the psalmist putting it this way i think it's because this he wants us to understand that this god who is so majestic and transcendent this is a god who is with us This is a God who is present and at work. He didn't just create and leave. God is present in the affairs of men. He is present in the affairs of your life. He is present in the way that he created nature to work, to go. So what the psalmist does is he wants us to see all the things in our lives, to see all the expressions of goodness to us, and to others, and he wants us to see these things in this way. 
as extended to us from his hand. He wants us not to see only the gift. He wants us to see the giver. So what that says is that our God wants us to take inventory of our lives, to take inventory of his provision, inventory of his providence. All right, God wants us to behold the wonder of his glory, the wonder of his goodness, and thirdly, God wants us to behold the wonder of his grace, the wonder of his grace. And there's one sense in which this feature that is pointed out to us by the psalmist is the, the grandest of them all, the most wonderful of them all. Uh, in recent weeks, my uh, Facebook feed has blown up uh, with vacation pictures. And uh, some friends are posting pictures, and you've got the, these glorious sunsets and mountain vistas and scenic uh, lakes, you know, all, all kinds of... And why do they do that? Why do people post these things on social media? I think, I think it's for this reason. I think it's because they see the beauty and they want you to see the beauty. They want to share with you the beauty and magnificence of what they themselves are enjoying. Now, we know that no pictures will ever do justice, and so it always fails to communicate what we see. But people want to share that. That's what the psalmist is doing. He beholds the wonder of God and he wants us to see it. He directs our attention to it. And that wonder of God reaches its apex, its zenith in the splendor of God's grace. Now what is God's grace? God's grace is his undeserved, unexpected, unmerited favor. Now, we just read of God's word um, speeding forth, right? Being sent, rushing to the accomplishment of his will and all the things, the blessings that we see that fill our lives. Now, he speaks of it in another way. Now, those blessings that, uh, that are seen, you know, the, the cattle, the grass, the homes, all that. Now, those are blessings that are poured out on everyone. But here's what he says as he draws our attention to another way that he sends his word. Verse 19. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. This reference to Jacob and Israel, what that speaks of is this special relationship that God entered into with a people who would be his own possession. He would be their God. They would be his people. In fact, we, we, that was part of our call to worship this morning. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his own possession. So it speaks of this special relationship this intimate relationship, this relationship that is filled with promises, which are all yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And you see what God has done to this people. 
his relationship with them. He has declared to them his word of truth. That's the Bible. That's what we're talking about. God has declared to this people, he has sent forth his word of truth. Why? Well, so that we can know him better. You know, we can look at creation, we can look at the stars, and we can know something, like, like we read from Romans this morning, of something of God's divine power. But the way that we can really know God is by understanding what he reveals himself, what he reveals about himself in his word. We can know the way of righteousness. We can see previews. We can see portraits of the Messiah. We learn these things because God has caused his word to be inscripturated. That means written down for us to have and to study and to learn from. Right. Here's this relationship where God blesses everyone with good things, but he's entered into a relationship, a special relationship with a people for his own possession. That's us. That's his people throughout the ages. Now, what would be the basis for this relationship? Verse 10. His delight, God's delight, is not in the strength of the horse, nor is pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who, who hope in his steadfast love. You see where hope is found for us as Christians? It's not found in anything that we can do. It's not found in the strength of a man, the ability. It's not found in where we think in our society that strength might be found. Where is hope found, does the psalmist say? Hope is found in the Lord. The psalmist points us to God's steadfast love. God takes pleasure in those who fear him. It means regard him for who he is. In those who hope in his steadfast love. Now, steadfast love is actually one word in the original language. And it's a little tricky to translate. Uh, it's like a cocktail of different character qualities. You've got love in there and mercy and faithfulness and loyalty. All these things that describe our relationship with God, what our hope is, not in what God, but not in what we do, not in what anyone or anything else could do, but our hope is found in God alone. Ultimately, that love, loving kindness, the steadfast love, reaches its maturity in God giving his son for our salvation. Because as scripture says, Jesus is our sure and steadfast hope. And who does the hope belong to? It belongs to the one who humbles himself. So it says in verse 6, the Lord lifts up the humble. See, it's the humble who recognize they don't have anything to give to God. It's the humble who recognize they can't do anything to save themselves. It's the humble who recognize that they don't deserve anything but the wrath of God. But it's the humble who come to God, who lift up, he cast the wicked to the ground. All right, and how about what's life like for God's people in relationship with him? Well, the psalmist touches on that as well. Verse 2, 
The Lord, Yahweh, builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. What kind of talk is that? That's the talk of a shepherd, isn't it? It's the God, it speaks of God who has taken us and enfolded us and he, lead, he leads us and uh, tends us. And when we're, where, where we need healing, he heals us. Where we are caught, he rescues us. It speaks of a shepherd's relationship with those he has taken as his sheep. And all because of grace. That's the wonder. God's grace. All right, Psalm 147 is built with the lumber of the wonder of God. The lumber of God's glory, the wonder of God's goodness, and the wonder of God's grace. But that begs the question, doesn't it? Why did the psalmist build this? Well, if you look at the structure of the psalm, you notice that there's a nice uh, poetical symmetry to it. What's the first line? Praise the Lord. What's the last line? Praise the Lord. And so that is act basically is a parenthesis of praise to our God for all that we have, the psalmist has told us about him. But there's another way that we can look at the structure of the psalm when we look at the blueprint. Psalm 147 is divides into three stanzas. Each stanza begins with a call to worship. Verse 1, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Verse 7, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, make melody to our God on the lyre. Verse 12, praise the, the Lord, O Jerusalem, praise your God, O Zion. And you see what each of these stanzas does? It begins with a call to worship, and then it lists reasons. A call to worship. And it lifts reasons. A call to worship, and it lifts reasons. But then that begs the question, doesn't it? What do we do with the last call to worship? See, there are reasons for the first, reasons for the second, reasons for the third. But what about the last? Praise the Lord. Well, I would suggest this. In fact, I would suggest it as a homework assignment. School year has started. It's okay to do that. Give out work, uh, homework assignments. I suggest that you use that final praise the Lord as a writing prompt. A writing prompt. For you to take note as you live your lives, as you read your Bible, as you take note of the wonder of God's glory and the wonder of God's goodness and the wonder of God's grace and use these things as fuel for the fire of praising the Lord. And as you close your day, your head on your pillow, think through these things. As you gather around the family table, draw out children. What do you see? What have you beheld? What is there if you will only look? And as you do this, 
may it be that your relationship with the true and living God through Jesus Christ may never lose its wonder. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You know our frame, Lord. You know we are prone to wander. You know we are prone to distraction. We're prone to forget. And we thank you that you minister to us in your word and sacrament and ask, Lord, that you would help us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may give you all glory, honor, and praise. Amen.